2: Sin City Stories contains explicit content that may be disturbing to some listeners, including strong language, graphic details, and depictions of violent crimes. Listener discretion is advised. It's one of the most high-profile murders in the history of Las Vegas. On a scorching 115-degree summer afternoon, a former FBI agent, ex-president of the State Bar of Nevada, two-term member of the Nevada Assembly, and prominent attorney left his office in downtown Las Vegas and made his way to the third-floor parking garage. Bill Coulthard climbed into his car, cracked the window to get some relief from the heat, inserted the key to start the engine, and cranked the ignition. That's when it happened. Since its founding on May 15, 1905, Las Vegas has gone from being a small railway stop in the middle of the Mojave Desert to a glittering neon oasis of gambling, shopping, fine dining and entertainment, welcoming tens of millions of visitors from around the world every year. Through its relatively short history, the city has been witness to over a century's worth of murder, robberies, arson and mayhem. And that's what we're here to share with you. In collaboration with MayhemInTheDesert.com, this is Sin City Stories, Vegas True Crime. The sordid tales behind the stranger-than-fiction history of fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. It was early afternoon, July 25th, 1972. The explosion thundered throughout downtown Las Vegas, emanating from the parking garage of the 10-story Bank of Nevada building. Four sticks of dynamite hidden near the steering column of Bill Coulthard's Cadillac detonated with the turn of the key, transforming the vehicle into a twisted hulk of scorched metal and setting several other nearby vehicles on fire. The force of the blast was so powerful, it shattered light fixtures in the bank lobby on the first floor of the building and tore a hole in the 16-inch thick concrete floor of the parking garage. The gas tanks of several blazing vehicles in close proximity to the explosion soon ignited, sending further shocks through the downtown area. Pungent black smoke billowed from the center of the Bank of Nevada building as stunned onlookers gathered on the sidewalk below. Meanwhile, casino magnate and alleged organized crime boss Benny Binion listened to the explosion from his offices in the downtown Horseshoe Casino a mere two blocks away. Bill Coulthard was everything that Benny Binion wasn't. Where Binion was brash and blunt, Coulthard was civil and refined. While Binion had made his fortune through murder, bribery, and deceit with a natural comfort amidst the underworld, Coulthard made his reputation, career, and livelihood through obedience to the rule of law and conventional means of success. Bill Coulthard was born and raised in Iowa, being admitted to the Iowa Bar in 1936 and joining the FBI shortly after. In 1940, he was assigned as the first resident FBI agent to the sleepy desert town of Las Vegas, just before the mobsters that would come to define a generation for the city arrived from the east. In 1946, he was admitted to the practice of law in Nevada and retired from the FBI that same year. Coulthard quickly became a respected pillar of the business and legal community. This entry was eased through his marriage to Lena Silvani, daughter of P.O. Silvani, a wealthy Las Vegas casino owner and contractor. The connections and financial resources afforded by his spouse's family allowed Coulthard to run two successful campaigns for the Nevada legislature, where he served as speaker pro tempore of the assembly. Sadly, in 1955, Lena passed away suddenly during surgery. As a result, Coulthard inherited his wife's very business interests in local casinos. Unknown to Coulthard, these interests would bring him into direct conflict with one of Las Vegas' most ruthless gangsters turned businessmen. Another man who would come to adopt Las Vegas as his home arrived in town a few years after Coltard. Benny Binion moved to Vegas in 1946, bringing along two suitcases loaded with cash that he'd earned from decades of operating illegal gambling rackets throughout Dallas. Binion had fled that city after his chosen candidate for sheriff was defeated and an anti-corruption crusading district attorney came into office in the 1946 election. Binion decided his best chance was to make a new home in the only city in America where he could make a legitimate living as a gambler. Very soon after his arrival in town, Dallas authorities tried for years to get Binion sent back to Texas on gambling charges. In fact, the governor of Nevada ordered his extradition on two separate occasions, but each time local Las Vegas judges blocked the orders. Binion would go on to exercise that type of power and influence for the rest of his time in Vegas. But before becoming one of the most powerful people in Nevada, Binion charmed, fought and killed his way through the ranks of the Dallas organized crime world. And while Binion was known to be an affable sort, those who crossed him became subject to the killer instinct he'd honed back in Texas. After settling down in Vegas, he wasn't shy about using the tools that had been so helpful in maintaining control of the Dallas gambling rackets, including car bombs. Benny Binion had climbed to the top of the Dallas gambling rackets by the 1930s, but one stubborn rival remained. Herbert the Cat Noble. Noble had earned the nickname the Cat because he apparently had at least nine lives, given how many assassination attempts he'd survived, with many of these coming at the hands of Binion. On one occasion, Binion's hitmen engaged in a gun battle with Noble during a high-speed chase, in which the cat managed to escape by outmaneuvering and outracing his would-be assassins. A few years later, Binion's hitmen waded in the bushes outside Noble's ranch, opening fire with rifles and submachine guns. serious wounds to his arm, Noble survived the attack and continued to frustrate Binion's efforts to monopolize the Dallas gambling rackets. Even after Binion fled Dallas for the more welcoming environment of Las Vegas, the feud continued between the two rivals. Binion still received a cut of the proceeds from the Dallas gambling rackets that he'd transferred to his henchman's control after skipping town, and he would allow nothing to jeopardize his profits. Things would escalate dramatically. On November 29, 1949, Mildred Noble made the fateful decision to drive her husband's car rather than her own. Mildred climbed into the vehicle parked in front of the couple's Dallas home, stepped on the starter, and... A car bomb allegedly planted by one of Binion's killers that was intended for the cat exploded, killing Mrs. Noble instantly. The blast was so powerful that it left human remains scattered in nearby trees. The murder of Noble's wife drove him into a state of deep depression. The only thing occupying his mind was revenge. Noble didn't wait long to strike back. The first response was the shotgun murder of Binion's most reliable Dallas hitman, Lois Green, who is known for burying his victims alive. Next came an attempt on Benny's life in his new home of Las Vegas. Noble sent his top hitman, a cryptic figure known only as the Grocery Man, to Las Vegas on a mission to murder Binion. But Binion's men captured the Grocery Man and sent him back to Dallas to commit a double-cross murder of his boss. After returning to Dallas, the Grocery Man lie in wait outside of his former employer's home. When Noble exited his front door, he was greeted by the blinding glare of headlights, followed by a burst of automatic rifle fire. True to his name though, the cat was wounded, but survived the attempt on his life. Over the next few months, Herbert, the cat, Noble, formulated what he believed to be the perfect plan to eliminate Benny Binion once and for all. Noble was an accomplished pilot, and he owned a fleet of airplanes. He intended to put his aeronautical knowledge to use in an audacious assassination attempt against his arch rival. Noble obtained aerial maps of Las Vegas and plotted out the property on Bonanza Road where the sprawling Binion Estate was located. The cat then attached bomb tracks to his most reliable aircraft, along with extra fuel tanks to stretch the plane's flight range. After revamping his plane, Noble used his connections to acquire two live bombs, one incendiary and the other high explosive. He intended his feud with Binion to end in spectacular fashion with the leveling of his rival's home while Benny, his wife, and five children were inside. Binion was ever cautious against attempts on his life, but even he would never suspect an aerial assault. The intricate plot was foiled in its final stages as Noble prepared to perform one last dry run of the attack on Binion's Vegas home. As Noble was preparing to enter his plane, an officer with the Dallas Police Department rolled up to the ranch. The officer was there to speak to Noble on a completely unrelated matter, but upon catching sight of the approaching officer, Noble reached for a nearby rifle. The cop was quicker on the draw. Defeated in his quest to avenge the death of his wife, the cat dropped his weapon, collapsed to his knees, and sobbed, complaining to the officer, Benny gets all the breaks. Benny eventually went on to get one last break against his old time nemesis. On the blistering hot morning of August 7, 1951, Noble parked his car next to the mailbox along the quiet road where his ranch was located. As he reached into the box to get his mail, a devastating explosion, likely triggered by a hitman watching from a nearby tree, completely decimated Noble's vehicle and killed him instantly. The cat's lives had finally run out. Benny Binion had built a national reputation founded upon his downtown Horseshoe Casino, which was further fueled when the Horseshoe hosted the first World Series of Poker tournament in 1970. But Binion didn't own the land upon which he had built his empire, he leased it, and his principal landlord was none other than Bill Coulthard, who controlled a 37.5% interest in the land that Binion's Horseshoe Casino was situated upon. Binion's lease was set to expire in the early 1970s, and the straight-laced former FBI agent Coltard was not in the mood to renew the lease of a vicious gangster who'd already developed a reputation around Las Vegas for using violence to settle disputes. Benny engaged in furious negotiations in an effort to get Coltard to come around. But the well-to-do attorney was already among the wealthiest members of Vegas society, so Binion's usual use of monetary incentives did nothing to sway Coltard. As one of Binion's associates would later say of Old Man Binion's efforts to renew the lease, he tried to negotiate with the asshole, but the son of a bitch wouldn't budge. In the end, Coulthard decided to lease the land to new tenants, ones with less questionable backgrounds than Benny Binion's. But Binion, wasn't about to let the multi-million dollar enterprise he'd built from scratch go without a fight. When Binion needed a dirty job done, he had one man that he knew he could turn to. Tom Hanley had known Benny Binion since his days in Dallas and had arrived in Vegas a few years before the old man. Hanley spent his time making inroads into the local unions to co opt them as part of Binion's larger organized crime enterprise. Hanley was an intimidating figure at 6'2 with a hulking frame. He ran into his first trouble with the law in Las Vegas in 1948 after he went on trial for brutally beating a member of the local sheet metal union. The union member had come into Hanley's office to complain about being taken off of a building project. Hanley responded by beating the man so severely he required three stitches to the head and suffered several broken ribs. Hanley was ultimately acquitted of the assault, the first of many failed attempts by the justice system to stop Hanley's decades-long crime spree on behalf of some of the most powerful people in Las Vegas. He was responsible for the murders of rival union bosses and of former associates who had decided to turn rat by cooperating with the police. There were even rumors that Hanley had a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. After all, Benny Binion had been questioned by the FBI about his Dallas connections to Jack Ruby in the months following the president's death. Regardless of the extent of Hanley's role in the most famous political murder in American history, it was unquestionable that Tom Hanley was the man Benny Binion relied upon to solve problems via less than legal methods. And since the mid-60s, it was believed Tom Hanley had worked with his son, Gramby Hanley, to carry out at least six murders, as well as over a dozen bombings, arsons, and several burglaries throughout Las Vegas. Gramby Hanley, who fell into a years-long heroin addiction while working as a hitman, later fondly remembered how, as a young man, his father had patiently shown him the proper way to wire an explosive charge and the best way to dispose of a dead body. Sometime in early 1972, Benny Binion determined there was only one way to save the Horseshoe Casino. He paid Tom Hanley a hefty sum to eliminate a problem. This wasn't the first time the paths of Hanley and Coltard had crossed. As a deputy city attorney, Bill Coltard had prosecuted Hanley for that beating of a union member back in 1948. Tom and Grammy Hanley went to work scouting out Coltard's routine, including staking out his residence on Rancho Circle. They were very fortunate in that Coltard was a creature of habit, generally coming and going at usual times from his downtown office. Tom Hanley secured several sticks of dynamite, and the duo entered the Bank of Nevada building's parking garage following Coulthard's arrival for work. The Hanleys operated with practiced yet cold efficiency in carrying out their assignments. One of the father-son hitman team stood lookout while the other walked along the row of parked cars on the third floor garage until he located Coltard's vehicle. The assassin pretended to drop something so that he could bend down next to the car. In less than a minute, the bomb had been placed under the Cadillac and the killers were out of the building on their way to establish an alibi for the time of the bombing. The daylight execution of Bill Coulthard rocked Las Vegas. This wasn't some degenerate that got out of line at a strip casino or a gangster who ran out of luck and ended up in a shallow desert grave. This was a respected attorney and former legislator who sat on corporate boards and was murdered at his place of business. The power brokers of the city knew and liked Bill Coulthard and they demanded action in response to the brutal slang. The local chamber of commerce gathered $75,000 within days to use as a reward for information leading to the capture of those responsible for Coltard's death. The ability to solve the crime would prove that law and order still existed in a town that had developed a habit of turning a blind eye to the activities of its less savory characters. Las Vegas homicide detective Beecher's Avance was working in his downtown office when he heard the blast. Thinking it was a natural gas line explosion, he headed out to continue to a different investigation. However, dispatchers soon radioed him, telling him he'd better head to the Bank of Nevada building instead. They informed him that a car bomb had just gone off in the third floor parking garage. In the days and weeks following Coltard's murder, Avance took several tips and diligently tracked multiple leads. Within a few months, Avance determined that the most likely suspect in the bombing and murder had been Tom Hanley. He also determined that the most probable motive was Binion's desire to maintain control of his casino. Though he didn't yet have enough evidence to make an arrest in the case, whenever Detective Avance saw Tom Hanley around town, he'd publicly yell to the notorious hitman, I'm gonna put you away for Coltard. In his investigation of the case, Detective Avance ran into an additional insurmountable roadblock. His boss, Clark County Sheriff Ralph Lamb, was a close personal friend and business associate of Benny Binion. In fact, years later, Sheriff Lamb would go on to face a federal investigation in relation to tens of thousands of dollars in loans Binion had given to the sheriff. In 1977, Detective Avance presented to the FBI what he believed was enough evidence to indict the Hanleys for the Coulthard bombing. But federal agents and prosecutors did not act on the information. A lot had changed in the five years since Bill Coltard left his office and never returned home. Tom and Gramby Hanley were now cooperating witnesses in the federal investigation into mafia control of strip casinos, corrupt union officials, and notorious organized crime figures like Lefty Rosenthal and Tony the Ant Spolatro. Federal investigators were focused on what they viewed as the bigger fish in Las Vegas rather than a years-old cold case. Coulthard continued his contributions to the community even after his death. His family requested that donations be made to the Clark County Law Library or the UNLV Library in lieu of flowers. Coltard's family grieved their loss and waited for the investigation to run its course, but they never expected it would lead to a dead end that could never provide finality. The $75,000 in reward money raised by the Chamber of Commerce was quietly returned to the donors after the Coltard investigation went cold. Benny Binion was questioned by police in relation to the bombing, but denied any responsibility. However, the shenanigans surrounding the case did not stop with Binion's interrogation. A local court reporter was arrested and unsuccessfully tried for stealing secret grand jury transcripts regarding the bombing, with a court reporter claiming powerful individuals in town had been implicated in the murder. But efforts to solve the murder of a respected member of the Las Vegas community did not die without one last attempt at obtaining justice. Informants came forward to police in 2000 and 2001 with new information about the Coulthard killing the lead homicide detective on the case in 2001 said of the new information it still looks to be due to his business dealings and at this point we're trying to put a prosecutable case together against those responsible however the new leads went nowhere as for binion's horseshoe casino after coltard's death the control of his shares fell to the brother of his late wife lena silvani they signed a 100 year lease with Benny Binion for the land. And although the property has changed ownership and is now known simply as Binion's, the hotel and casino continues to stand today in the same spot it did on that hot summer day in 1972. It's now been over 50 years since the murder of Bill Coulthard, and although new evidence has been brought forward, investigators are no closer to solving the crime, and police still believe the death was due to Coulthard's business dealings. There are those who are still of the opinion that Vegas was safer when the mob ran things, but the daylight car bombing and targeted killing of a respected citizen should serve as a reminder as to why that statement is absolutely false. To learn more about this Las Vegas true crime story and many others, visit mayheminthedesert.com and get yourself acquainted with the darker side of Sin City's history. Sin City Stories, Vegas True Crime is based on material researched and written by Megan and Anthony Smith and is adapted for podcast, edited and narrated by Jeff Walker. Sin City Stories, Vegas True Crime is a co-production of Mayhem in the Desert and Walker New Media. Copyright 2024.